Good morning, everyone. You're listening to The Sci-Files, an exposure segment featuring Michigan State University student research. We're your co-hosts, Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Today, we're joined by Alyssa Logan. Alyssa, can you please tell us a little about yourself and your research? I am an animal science student. I am a first-year PhD student. I also did my master's in the Department of Animal Science at MSU. I finished that in May and rolled right into my PhD. My research for master's and PhD are pretty much one and the same. So I'll keep it simple in that we study the bone health of horses. In our lab, we really like to focus a little bit more on the impact that confinement has on bone health, as well as bone health of young racehorses and young performing horses. We recently had somebody that was on our show that studied cows, and their cows are just right off campus. Are these horses local, or do you study them remotely? So actually, something that we do with my research, we use cows, we use calves as a model for horses. To kind of better answer your question, we have horses on campus. We have the MSU Horse Teaching and Research Center. We have the MSU Dairy Cattle Teaching and Research Center. So we absolutely, we have horses and cows on campus. So we use calves for a model for horses. It's easier for us to obtain some calves to use for research. The horses used on campus, we do have young foals that are born on campus. They are raised and trained, and they are used for a lot of the classes on campus. They're born on campus. They're kept up until they're about three or four years old. So they have they have uses. It's really not fair for us to grab them for research. So And it allows us to take a little bit more tissues if we're using a calf. They are terminal studies, I'll be completely honest with that, but that allows us to gain so much knowledge and so much information that is helpful towards the animal industry and keeping horses safer when they're exercising. Do you consider these calves as like the control? So what we do is we obtain calves that are, they are young. We're not getting adult animals because we're kind of modeling a young racehorse. And we take the calves at about nine weeks of age, We confine them. They're kept in a stall. And then we add prescribed exercise to the calves. So an example for my master's research, we focused on the addition of very short sprints, about 71 meters, which is pretty much the length of about a hallway. And we added that short sprint either one, three, or five days per week to their daily activity. Other than that short sprint, they were just kept in a stall. And what we found from this research is that at least one day is needed of sprinting per week is needed to lead to a 26% increase in bone strength. So you get a 26% stronger bone by just one sprint a week compared to sitting in a stall and doing nothing. Well, that's really interesting because that's got me thinking, what do you use to motivate these calves to sprint across these short distances in the first place? I When I imagine a sprinting cow, it's one of the funniest things in my mind right now. Whenever I discuss this research, people ask about how you get a calf to run. So the calves were sprinted individually. And like I mentioned, they were kept individually in confinement in little stalls. So I would walk one calf out of its stall. The 71-meter aisleway that I referenced, it was adjacent to the barn where calves were housed in. So that was the barn they were housed in. They kind of have some allegiance to that. They're familiar with that. So I walked them down the end of the aisleway. 
and then they're released and verbally encouraged to sprint back. And besides a, like a whoop and a go on calf, like a little bit of noise, some clapping here and there every once in a while, flapping our hands, uh, because we are behind their center of gravity, that urges them to go forward. They also, their buddies are 71 meters down the aisle way. They are a herd animal. They want to go down to their buddies. The calves were on the study for about six weeks, so... The first sprint, some calves right away figured it out. Yep, running towards the end. A couple kind of ambled and jumped a little bit, and then woohoo, I got it. After getting oriented after the first sprint, they pretty much all figured it out. They run to the end, they get collected, and then go right back to their stall. They figured it out pretty quick. And they ran at about three and a half meters per second, which for calf is pretty decent. Of course, horses... Uh, thoroughbred racehorses sprinting at about 18 meters per second and quarter horses at 24 meters per second at top speed. That leads to my question. How do you translate calves into horses? So we have some research that was published in 2004 that showed that calves are a good model for horses. Kind of similar design from my study and my study actually stemmed off of the study to answer better questions, but a group of calves was sprinted five days per week, and a group of horses was sprinted five days per week. Because at this point, they didn't know were calves a good model for horses. They were sprinted about the same distance, and they had very similar responses in bone. So that helped us to show that, yep, calves are a great model, because the reality is, here in the United States, it is not normal to euthanize horses for research. Now, there's plenty of data that we can get without needing to euthanize. However, to determine something such as bone strength, to actually determine is this bone really stronger or do we just have radiographs of it showing that bone mineral density might be greater, being able to euthanize calves and actually put our bones through fracture force testing to determine if bone is stronger really helps in giving us some concrete answers. And actually sheep too, because they kind of a similar limb structure, have been used as models for horses as well. What tools do you use to actually measure the stress that you can put on one of these bones? And how does that even tell you how strong a bone is going to be comparatively to one that doesn't sprint? This study, one of my favorite parts of it is all the collaboration that could happen with it. So the way that we were able to measure the fracture force, we actually obtained a Instron in plant biosciences that a lab allowed us to share and share their expertise with them. So it undergoes four-point bending, basically you have something holding the bone at the bottom and holding pressure at the top. And it applies pressure, and the, the technology is incredible. I'm not an engineer, so I can't quite explain all how it works, but it senses the second that the bone gives to pressure. I was anticipating when we broke them that it would like shatter and fly across the room. Not quite that crazy. It just has a give to pressure, and when we actually look at the bone, yep, it's cracked. So that allows us to determine, and each bone is tested exactly the same way, and the folks that were testing it with us, they had no idea of the treatment, so it's not like we were rooting for the calves that sprinted to have, strong, to have stronger bones. So they were all tested equally, and that way we can compare exact numbers in terms of forces of sprinted animals and non-sprinted animals and break that apart and determine how did we have, what treatment differences did we have. How do you take into account what they're eating? For example, if... The calves are getting different types of diets. Would that impact how strong their bones are? Lots of research has shown that both nutrition and exercise do have an impact on bone quality and bone health. 
Research has shown that exercise plays a bigger factor in that, but of course, bone is mineral. When we think about it, bone contains 90% of the body's calcium, and bone itself is made up of 35% calcium. And minerals and other parts that are important to bone health are obtained from the diet. So all of our calves were fed the same calf starter. They had the same diet from the time that they were born. We worked closely with the MSU Dairy Cattle Teaching and Research Center to make sure that the calves were fed the same feed from day one until they started the study with me. Now, of course, we needed to take into account these calves were growing, and they were growing rapidly. So realistically, as is normal in the, uh, the dairy industry, the calves could eat about as much as they wanted. Of course, we couldn't go out there and feed feed buckets 24-7, but we had two sessions of feeding and the calves never had an empty bucket in front of them. So kind of like a cat, they, uh, they want a full bucket at all times, but they, uh, they had as much food as they could eat. All right, it's good that the calves are being fed as much as they want and that they're getting the proper diet for themselves, but what about those thoroughbred racehorses that you were mentioning? Obviously, racehorses aren't eating calf food. How would you translate that over? So bringing into account exercise, diet, we have a lot of studies, a lot of advancements in our diet for all of our animals. So our calves are being fed for growth, dairy cattle are being fed for milk production, our horses are being fed for an athletic performance and that we want to have full glycogen stores, which would allow our animals to have energy to expend during their exercise. So Horses are not eating the same thing as calves, and calves aren't eating the same thing as horses. But a growing horse are going to have access to pasture, which is normal for them. They can get energy. They can get fiber. They'll have access to creep feed, which allows them to have grain as they can access on their own. Similar to the calf, they can have as much as they want when they're very young. And as they're older, we regulate their feed a little bit more to give those horses that are in training, they'll get They'll get forage access, and they most likely will get grain as well to give them extra energy because they're working very hard. Now, taking into account where the heck does sprinting a calf impact the thoroughbred racehorse industry? So thoroughbred racehorses, at about 18 months of age, they are brought in for training. Leading up to this point, they have been living life happy, free, out in pastures, those beautiful, rolling, bluegrass pastures you see out in Kentucky. So for the first, pretty much first time in their life, they're brought in and they're kept in a stall. They're kept in confinement when they were used to being out on pasture, where the opportunity to jump and run and buck and experience strains on their bones was ubiquitous, which means it was available at all times. They weren't being restrained at any point. And now they're kept in a stall where they really aren't able to do that. Stalls are about 12 feet by 12 feet, and they're going from acres and acres of pasture. And the beginning of training a horse is slow and quiet and methodical. They'll spend some time walking on a walker, and under saddle training, they're going to walk, they're going to trot, they're going to go through some small gallops, but they're not sprinting hardcore. They don't have the opportunity to load that bone early on. And injuries are seen in early training Something called bucked shins, which for us and people, we experience that too, shin splints. If you're not a runner and all of a sudden you join your friend who teases you into doing a 5K, the next couple days it is rough. You are hurting. Your bones hurt. So you weren't used to the strains on your bone of running on concrete, and it hurts. Your bones were not used to it. You have little micro cracks in your bones. 
And so similar to this, this can happen with these young horses. When they first go into training, everything's been going good while it was quiet. And then suddenly you add some speed and your horse turns up lame. They, they turn up injured. They're hurt. And a perception that can be had is, oh, speed isn't good. We shouldn't be running our horses fast young. Well, what's happened is that horse went from being able to run whenever they wanted in the pasture to being in a stall and they couldn't really run around. And then all of a sudden, when you add speed, they haven't had the strains on their bone and it's expensive to maintain bone. So bone took away a little bit of mass and a little bit of mineral because it has to maintain its body and it wasn't undergoing strain, so it didn't need it. But with our calves, like we determined that just one day of a short sprint is needed to lead to a 26% increase in bone strength, allowing some short sprints here and there in the very early training where sprinting typically isn't had would really help in counteracting injuries due to decreased bone help early on in training. And these sprints don't have to be done under saddle. They can be quickly done in an alleyway as you, you could do it with a few horses at the same time, just run them from point A to point B, collect them and put them back. And if that's done once a week, that's really implementable for our managers of horses. Because of course, we understand that it takes a lot to manage hundreds of horses on a farm. You can't do that five days a week, but just one day a week, as our research shows, is just as good as five days per week. To make another comparison, what is the difference between the stalls that racehorses are held in comparatively to that of baby calves? In terms of the animal, they're proportionally very similar. So our calves had room to stand up, lay down, turn around. They couldn't run around. If a calf was put in the size of a stall that the horses were kept in, which is about 12 feet by 12 feet, yeah, our calves could run around a little bit. But for a horse, who's quite a bit bigger than a calf, being in a 12 foot by 12 foot stall, they can get about the same access to exercise as the calves. Stand up, lay down, turn around. They're not able to run around in their stall. Of course, there are some people that have huge, luxurious stalls. That's not really the standard. The standard is about a 12-foot by 12-foot stall. Are there laws or policies out there that specifically state the minimum size of a stall? Not necessarily. And right now in the racehorse industry, laws and policies that we're dealing with right now are actually focused on uh, medications that can be allowed during and leading up to a race because we're seeing some breakdowns and something that's possible is there is a medication administered to horses called bisphosphonates, which just overall, they stop bone remodeling which means that they're stopping the taking away of bone, which ideally that could be good, right? But we need to allow bone to repair. So it needs to take away the old and broken down portions and repair it with new strong bone. And potentially there are quite a few injuries that are potentially happening from that. There are quite a few other medications, some pain mitigating medications that working hard to kind of determine what is the correct use, what is the safest use for our animals. That actually makes me think, is it a thing that horses get injected with like horse steroids or something like that? And then if that is a thing, what would that kind of effect look like in a calf when it comes to sprinting? That is a thing. And it's not the kind of steroids that you're thinking of. It's not the Arnold Schwarzenegger big beefy steroids. What is used is a steroid injection, an intraarticular steroid injection, into a joint to reduce joint pain. I'll be honest, we focused more on 
cortical bone structure in terms of these calves, we haven't done too much with joint space in them. And also these calves were pretty young. It was a pretty short exercise period, about six weeks. If we were exercising, we could potentially design a study that we're exercising long term and look into the use of these steroids. There's been quite a bit of research that actually shows that these steroids, they do work. They mitigate pain. But pain is there for a reason, to tell us that something hurts. Something shouldn't be exercised on right now. It hurts. So they hide enough pain that some of these horses might be exercising until breakdown. Also, these steroids, they hinder the maintenance and the growth of chondrocytes, which are the cells in cartilage. And you're injecting into a joint which is surrounding by cartilage, so it's the nearby structure. So there's been a decent amount of research in cartilage. It's a little bit out of my wheelhouse to say exactly what the effect on a calf would be, especially such a young calf, but a lot of research shows that, yep, it mitigates pain, but with great power comes great responsibility knowing that it mitigates pain that way. This is really amazing. You had mentioned that sometimes you work with horses and that there's horses around on campus. For fun, do you get to ride any of the horses? Absolutely. I've actually had some cool opportunities to ride some of our standard bred research horses that we have in our lab. I have a couple personal horses of myself. I have two horses. They're sweet as can be. Uh, This morning, I did a bunch of teaching over at Vet Med and helped teach vet students how to palpate the front legs. So while my personal research, I may not be actually using horses. Horses are a huge part of my day in, day out life. I actually had a grad, an undergrad ask me one day, like, well, you're studying horse bones, but you're not even working with horses. Like, you miss it? And it's like, I am. I have horses in my life every day in a bunch of other ways, and it's such great, fun diversity to add some calves to my life, but I still, my base is horses, and I love all the work that I get to do with horses. That's so cool. One of my life goals have always been to own a horse. It'll happen one day. I hope so. <laughs> do you do anything else for fun? I have a dog. And I love to run with my dog. My husband and I enjoy camping and fishing and hiking as well. I am involved in our Animal Science Graduate Student Association on campus. It is a great support for our graduate students. We have monthly meetings. We come together. We host events. We love sharing what we're learning about and what our research is about, especially given that a lot of our research impacts community and impacts the industry, all the different animal industries. It's so great to hear what everybody else is doing. I show my horses pretty regularly. I'm a part of quite a few associations, and I enjoy judging horse shows as well, too. How do you maintain the balance of pursuing a PhD while caring for two horses and a husband at the same time? Yeah, it's a lot, but I'm really fortunate that I've made horses my life. And um, because I am so passionate about kind of practicing what I preach, I, in mentality, often get to practice what I am learning about and what I'm, what I'm doing with my research on my own animals and just being able to be highly involved in the maintenance and care of my own animals. It kind of, I don't know, I guess a way to say it is it fuels me to keep going. Of course, life is crazy busy and you have to be realistic. So on a daily basis, my horses are boarded. So on days that I am not home until 9 or 10 at night, they are fed, they are cared for. I don't have the land to have them at home. I cannot wait until I get a faculty salary and I can have the land to have them at home. So somebody sees them every day. 
and feeds them and cares for them, which is great. And I ride them about five to six days a week. My days are long. I don't get home till pretty late. But I also am fortunate enough, and many other grad students probably feel this, that we have a flexible enough schedule that sometimes you might have to work on the weekend, but that means that I can leave at two on a bright sunny day to go ride. Do you ever ride your horse to school, and why or why not? That would be quite a fun experience. One of my horses lives about 60 miles from school, and she's strong and fit, but I don't think I want to put her through that. It's a lot of highway. And the other one is uh, is more like 20 miles from school, but he's a young horse just getting broke. Uh, love him to death, but I don't trust him to ride to campus. It would be a cool opportunity uh, to do that someday. Is there even a place on campus to, like, park your horse? Um, you know... <laughs> So the horse farm has lots of room there. We actually are very tight on biosecurity at the horse farm, and outside horses can't come in. And because of this, I, you don't hear about outbreaks of disease really happening. So they're very tight on security. So, you know, maybe I might have to go to the beef farm or something. Since this is an agriculture-based community, do you ever take your horses to any of the local horse shows around here? Yeah, the Pavilion for Agriculture is a great place to show. I actually grew up in 4-H, yay extension, and uh, everything that 4-H has offered from MSU. So showing at at the Pavilion at the state show was a great opportunity. Michigan Paint Horse Club hosts some shows there. Michigan Quarter Horse Association hosts some shows there. I live right by the Shiawassee County Fairgrounds, been to Ingham County Fairgrounds, lots of different fairgrounds, and Michigan horse industry is going pretty strong. It's it's great to see. Actually, last October, my husband and I did a paint show together at the pavilion, and we are we try to do showing on a budget. We're DIY amateurs, and we stayed in a tent for the weekend. We didn't have a fancy living quarters trailer. Oh my gosh, it was awful. Our poor dog was stuck in a soggy tent, and the horse was great. The horse behaved great, and we had a great show, but it was definitely a bonding experience. And how can graduate students get into horseback riding in the first place? There's a lot of opportunities on campus, so there are classes. Um, In terms of graduate students, most of those classes are geared towards undergraduate, so if you take the mind off of campus for a second. There's a lot of different facilities nearby that offer riding opportunities for beginners all the way to riders who have their own horses. You need a place to board. You need some instruction. Um, There's a lot of resources depending on if you're interested in hunter jumper, if you're interested in reining, if you're all around. You can find it in this area. Well, thank you so much, Alyssa, for coming in this morning to talk to us about your research and how it's helping horses all around the world before they get injured, and prevent the injury in the first place. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. I've had a great opportunity to share my research, and I love getting it out into the agriculture committee and or agricultural community and just the general public to share a little bit more that racing isn't just the headlines about broken down horses. Racing is great. We're proud of the history that racing has, and we can work really hard to manage our horses in a way that prevents injuries, not just mitigates pain, but prevents things from happening. Exactly. For those that have tuned in a little late, you've been listening to the Sci-Files on Exposure. Thank you for Jeremy Whiting, our general manager, Olivia Mitchell, our station manager, and our program directors, Amber Konetsky and George McNeil. Thank you to all of our listeners that joined us this week. And remember... The truth is in the science. Any comments and questions can be directed to scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll see you all next week on Sci-Files.